Hello and welcome to Wanderlust, a podcast about travel. I am your host, Lauren. In each episode, we'll meet a traveler, learn more about them, and something they're passionate about. I hope you enjoy this journey with me. Happy October, dear travelers. October is my favorite month. I love celebrating Halloween all month long. So, I hope you enjoy this month's more themed episodes. Happy October. Stay safe. And I hope you have a happy Halloween. Max Gandy is a certified chocolate maker who has traveled to six continents and runs the chocolate blog Dame Cacao and the podcast Chocolate on the Road. Please welcome Max. Hello, Lauren. What first inspired you to travel? Is FOMO a bad answer? (laughs) I, I feel like it's a valid answer for a lot of people. I have cousins in London, so we visited them a few times over the years, but I never really traveled that much uh, until I was 19. I did a few internships abroad in cacao and chocolate because I was really, really, really interested in learning more about the whole system of the chocolate industry and how everything kind of comes together. And that involves going back to the farm and understanding how stuff there happens and ends up in places like the U.S., like how the cacao is grown and processed, where it comes from, the history and culture around cultivating it. And you have to do that by traveling. There's nowhere in the U.S. that you really can learn all of that and feel like you've had a full education. How many countries have you lived and worked in? Three short term and then one long term. What's been your biggest adventure? The first thing that comes to mind is that time that I accidentally snuck into the ruins in Peru. I was working in a a very small town in central Peru and there were Incan ruins as there are just all scattered all across Peru and I was climbing up the side of a mountain on my break from work one day and I noticed I could go higher and I wondered where it went and I kind of just ended up inside the ruins which you're supposed to pay to enter but I was not prepared to like walk around and everything I had to go back to work so um, a few days later I went back and I did it again and I got to walk around the ruins for free which was great and my co-workers gave me their full support because that town saw almost none of the money. Like all of the money ended up going back to Lima for the many tourists that were paraded through the town. That was awesome. That adventure was getting robbed in Ecuador. That sucked. How much time goes usually into your posts and your podcast? The posts themselves on the site vary, maybe including research, somewhere between 10 and 20 hours. And then the podcast 30 to 50 hours, depending. Like when I went to Fiji in January and that episode came out in April, my sister was with me. God bless her. She went with me to specific places. We went on flights just so we could go interview people. (laughs) And I'll, I'll never know if that's like too much to do, but the time spent doing that will always have been interesting and worth it. 
even if it was specifically just for this interview, even if it never makes me money, it's it's an interesting experience. And I was glad to be able to share that with her. But it also, when you reflect back on it, sometimes you feel like you've spent too much time focusing on work and it looks like all this fun, but it can be really stressful sometimes. No regrets, but definitely a little too much focus on work looking back on it. What is something that you always travel with? Pen and paper and my laptop. U.S. dollars. I think are probably one of the most useful things, especially when you're stranded late at night in an airport and you would spend that 20 bucks to get where you need to go. You can't get out foreign currency. What's your favorite part of travel? Seeing new places, just like visually the experience of being there. Getting different perspectives and meeting all these different people can be very interesting, but not everybody travels in hostels and not everybody travels in very fancy hotels. I think just being able to be in different places, it makes you keep track of your time differently. Like when I look back at all the travels I've had in my 25 years, it feels like my life has been longer than it actually has. But it also makes the last like eight months feel a lot longer than they've been for the opposite reason. What sparked your love for chocolate? I did a chocolate tasting when I was 16. I was living near a university for a couple of months just doing a program. And my mom moved me because it was cross country and I was 16 and she found this chocolate tasting online and we went and did it and we bought a single chocolate bar which actually happened to be made very close to where I grew up and it was awesome. I went back every week and I learned more and more about chocolate. When I went back to high school I did more research and I bought a couple more bars with my allowance and in college kind of same thing but then I was working and I could pay for my own chocolate and it just kind of snowballed from there. It was at a place called the Chocolate Garage, correct? Mm-hmm. Do you remember what the flavor of the bar was? There's a chocolate maker called Rogue Chocolatier, which shut down last year, which was highly regarded as one of the best chocolates in the world, but also potentially the best chocolate in the world. And he had this set of three different origins, which I don't remember the third one. It's maybe Honduras or Ecuador, but the first two were the Dominican Republic and then Madagascar. And just the name of the Dominican Republic bar was Hispaniola which made me wonder, okay, what does Española mean? This is the DR, right? And I looked it up, and that's the name of the island. It's the name that the Spaniards gave to the island on which Haiti and the Dominican Republic exist. I was like, oh, wow, I saw this chocolate bar, and I learned something. Like, I learned something beyond just, oh, this is a country, the Dominican Republic or Madagascar. I mean, you're 16, and you've barely traveled outside the U.S. Like, you don't know that much about geography in the world. So it felt like I was kind of experiencing these places at the same time as I was able to learn more about them. I mean, the flavors of the bars were fruity, nutty, chocolatey, but like more importantly, they were the flavors of the places. There were probably four or five for tasting that day, but she opened up like a few bars in the back and we got to chat with some of the other people who were there for the tastings because this was a weekly thing and people just showed up and there were regulars and it was it was a whole community. It was a very, very cool experience. What does or mean? Chocolate is made from cacao, which is a tropical fruit. And basically you're eating the fermented and dried seed of that fruit. So the origin refers to the place in which that cacao was grown. There's a term used quite often for this specific type of chocolate called bean to bar or craft chocolate. What does that mean in difference to like a commercially made Hershey's bar? 
on the back of a craft chocolate bar or bean to bar chocolate, you'll generally just see two or three ingredients, cacao beans, sugar, maybe milk powder, or maybe cocoa butter, which is just added fat from the cacao beans. So those fermented and dried seeds are often called cacao beans or cocoa beans. Cacao and cocoa are the same word. It's just Spanish English. The Hershey's bar, the list is kind of a mile long in terms of the ingredients, but often you won't even see cacao listed. Like Hershey's has a white chocolate bar. They get really creative with the legalese on there. They don't actually call it chocolate, just like Ruby Cacao. They're calling their product Ruby Cacao instead of Ruby Chocolate because they couldn't get it legally defined as chocolate. They couldn't use that word. Hershey's does the same thing, like with their special dark bar. People see special dark and they associate Hershey's with chocolate. So they think, oh, it's it's chocolate, but it's got like milk products in it. It's got emulsifiers. It used to have, I think, some kind of wax on it. So the ingredients list is super long and you don't know where any of that's coming from. Often you don't even know what it is. What is PGPR? I mean, huh. You'll see it on almost every Hershey's bar list. The ingredients are questionably sourced, but then on a craft chocolate bar or bean to bar chocolate, Bean to bar is a term that implies that the chocolate maker is using cacao beans. So from the cacao bean, they're making chocolate. They're doing all the five or six steps that that involves after the cacao has been fermented and dried. Um, Hershey's actually, I think, buys cocoa liquor which means that the beans have already been sort of prepared for them and they just put that into the machine with sugar and all those other weird things and mix them all up. But Bean of our craft chocolate, generally ethically sourced. Check out every maker, ask them questions. They should be transparent with you. If they're not, then their product's not worth the price tag. I've never looked at a Hershey or like a more commercial brand chocolate bar and seen that it didn't say chocolate. Yeah, because you expect it. Yeah. you don't look for it but like on the flip side of that there are vegan chocolates that if they don't include milk powder they also can't legally be called chocolates how does it taste different the way that i describe a sort of commercial chocolate other than really sweet because usually they use sugar as a filler because sugar is a cheaper ingredient than cacao is flat usually the the taste of a badly made or badly sourced chocolate is super sweet and just flat kind of cocoa-y a little burnt if you think about it closely while you're tasting it craft chocolates generally have a more complex evolution of flavors while you're tasting them take a couple of bites and then let it melt and as the cocoa butter melts and you you taste different components of the 400 plus components that make up the flavor of chocolate you'll experience different flavors there's 400 it might be 600 but it's it's hundreds i mean there's a reason there's no good imitation chocolate flavor when you were in college you received a grant to travel to South America to study chocolate. What was your major? I graduated with two majors, Hispanic literature and cultures, and then global studies. What was the most important thing that you learned while you were making chocolate in Guatemala and cacao farming in central Ecuador or studying business in Peru? Be vigilant. <laughs> I was really dumb when I was 19 and I was traveling alone for the first time ever in Guatemala City, one of the most dangerous cities in the world. Luckily, I had people who were looking out for me. But I was kind of naive when I was first traveling and working, and I just thought things would be kind of the same as they were when I was younger, when I was on campus. Look at your surroundings all the time, but also 
enjoy them. Be present, look around, but like watch out for yourself. Like it was a wake up call for for a young person. You also taught ESL in South Korea. What drew you to Korea? Korea was actually put into my mind by the woman from whom I was renting a room in Guatemala. She was an English teacher there in Guatemala. She worked at a school teaching ESL and she said that someone she had worked with a few years ago had taught English in Korea and had had a really great experience. And it planted the seed in my head, the idea of teaching English, not necessarily in Korea. But after a bunch of research, it ended up being the best place for me, I think. I looked into Vietnam or Thailand where they do grow cacao and make chocolate, but I wanted a place where I felt like I could learn the language and that would be completely new. And I really knew nothing about Korea at all. So I spent about a year researching it and then ended up deciding on Korea. There's a little bit of Latin dancing, which is another passion of mine. There's a few chocolate makers I found. But for the most part, I figured I would just be able to travel to other parts of Asia. And while that did happen, while I was there, I also saw a lot of growth in the Korean chocolate industry, which was awesome. Are there any places that aren't commonly known for chocolate that you think are hidden gems? I mean, Europe is certainly a valid place. I think England and the UK on the whole is probably the best spot in Europe for really great chocolate. If you want to find any generic chocolate, yeah, sure, Belgium. There's chocolate shops on every corner, but they all taste the same for the most part. In terms of chocolate cities or chocolate destinations, I think Tokyo is probably the best one in Asia. And then South America, Central America, Mexico City is doing amazing things. Ecuador Quito has at least a dozen chocolate makers just inside the city, much less within a couple of hours outside of the city. Lima has grown tremendously within the last half decade or so. Lima, Peru, Quito, Ecuador, London, and then Tokyo, I'd say are probably the top spots for me. How do you find chocolate places to visit, especially in countries where you don't necessarily speak the language? Yeah, so I have been blessed enough to have English as my first language, have an American passport, and have connections to people through chocolate. A lot of people I've met just through Instagram. A few have been pointed out to me by other friends in the industry, but I mean, a lot of this has just been networking over the years. I mean, social media has been an amazing boon for chocolate people of all types, like cacao growers, middle people, chocolate makers, just being able to connect through the internet and then plan out things like a trip or be able to connect you to someone else within the country, but in a different part where you're actually going has been amazing. I think most of the chocolate shops I find are through Instagram or recommendations. Otherwise, getting really creative with Google. Some some Google translated terms, like in Taiwan. Taiwan is probably one of my favorite places in the whole world. And taking the written Mandarin of cacao and then chocolate and then the name of the place was a game changer. That's how I found most of the chocolate shops in Taiwan. That plus Instagram. You are a certified chocolate maker. What does that mean? So unlike wine, beer, uh, even coffee, there's not that much development in the fine chocolate world in terms of like certifications and bodies that are to be trusted for that kind of thing. We have a few different organizations that do that kind of thing. A chocolate maker is kind of hard to define, but basically they take the cacao beans and they transform them into chocolate. So does that mean that you get chocolate beans delivered to your house? 
I mean, you can, you can. There's a chocolate maker. The first chocolate bar, craft chocolate bar I ever bought, located about an hour from me in DC. He has been making chocolate in his basement for 10 years. And he finally moved his factory out of his basement this year. You also have an arguably unpopular opinion. You like white chocolate. What about white chocolate do you like? I mean, white chocolate has so much potential. I mean, dark and milk chocolate. You can do a lot with them, but you should still make it kind of taste like chocolate. Whereas I feel like with white chocolate, it's a pretty blank canvas. You can add a lot of fruit powders, different nuts. You can roast the milk powder to give it a more caramelized flavor. The only limitations with chocolate are really like moisture content. You can't add honey or anything because it'll, it'll freak out the chocolate. It makes it seize and it doesn't quite temper right. But you can do a lot more with white chocolate over milk or dark just because it's the flavor of cocoa butter is almost non-existent. It's more the aroma. What do you look for in good chocolate? Good milk chocolate would have a pretty solid snap usually unless it has like butter added, for example, or a different type of fat, which changes the melting temperature and everything. But you'd be able to still taste the cocoa, like kind of a sharpness that dark chocolate has to it with the softness of a milk chocolate. And you'd still be able to taste the evolution of flavors that you would associate with quality cacao. Like maybe it starts off a little bit fruity and then gets kind of nutty and then super fudgy and chocolatey at the end. What about dark chocolate? Similar, but without any of the softness. And you can find a lot of dark chocolates that don't really have any of that harshness and the acidity or often no bitterness. Bitterness is not necessarily an inherent quality of dark chocolate, but it is often less sweet and good snap because the only fat that should be in there is cocoa butter, which has a consistent melting point and evolution of flavor. Even more so, I'd say, than milk chocolate, because you can notice the nuance better when it's not softened by milk. White chocolate, I think the main thing is that there's no rancid smell. <laughs> yeah, some, some white chocolates, especially if they use any non-cocoa butter fats, can smell kind of off, and they don't tend to have a very strong cocoa aroma. But a really good white chocolate should be at least 35% cacao, so 35% cocoa butter. And then it should also have a pretty strong snap and a pretty strong chocolatey smell. It would be sweet and kind of milky, but it would still be distinctly chocolatey. And it can still be a bit fruity, depending on the, the origin you use. Do you have any favorites? Yes. <laughs> My favorite bar right now is from this Norwegian maker called Fjok chocolate, spelled F-J-A-K, and they make this caramelized milk chocolate with bits of goat cheese. <laughs> Sounds kind of strange, but it's called Brunost. It's this Norwegian cheese called brown cheese, and it's eaten with like breakfast and everything. And they took some slices, and it's, it's made with goat's milk, and I, I guess they dried it somehow. They um, like took all the moisture content out of it and then broke it into crumbles. And they add it to this caramelized milk chocolate, which is 45%. It's kind of sweet. You can still taste all that nuance. And then there's these crunchy bits of goat's milk cheese in it. It's so interesting and delicious. Yeah. What are some like weird chocolate combinations? What are some yeah. that you didn't think initially would be delicious but loved? Oh, a seaweed caramel. There's a, a seaweed 
milk chocolate that I had from Fiji made by this Japanese guy who moved to Fiji maybe 20 years ago, hence the seaweed. But he's been making chocolate on Fiji for like 16 or 17 years now. And one of his bars is this seaweed laced milk chocolate. And the seaweed adds like this saltiness to it that is so incredibly good. And I really was very wary about, but it's it's fabulous. What do you wish the average person who maybe only has ever tried the commercial chocolate, what do you wish they knew? There is a depth of flavor to chocolate that extends beyond bitterness <laughs> that I think a lot of people would enjoy if they were willing to spend just a dollar and a half or two dollars more on a chocolate bar and actually pay for the cacao that's in it. It's not that much more expensive, but unlike this sugary sweet treat that you might be buying, it's something that would actually satisfy your palate with more complexity, not to mention not as much sugar or weird fillers. And there are some makers who are working really hard to do that, to put together a 3 or $4 chocolate bar that's maybe slightly smaller, like instead of 100 grams, it's 70 grams, but that's made with ethically sourced cacao. It's made still in, in small batches. And it tastes really damn good. Well, do you want to do a quiz? Sure, sure. Well, so I'm on nationalgeographic.com for one of their chocolate quizzes. Uh, it says, mm-hmm. what do you know about the makers and shakers of the chocolate world? Take this quiz from Traveler Magazine and find out. This is part one. The cocoa tree, scientific name, oh no, Theobroma cacao means food of the gods in Latin. Cocoa was was considered as such by the Aztecs who made chocolate beverages from the beans. Cultivated for thousands of years in the Americas, the trees are native to which South American geographical region? The Amazon rainforest, the Brazilian highlands, or Andean altiplano? The rainforest. Found in Brussels, Belgium, premier chocolatier Godiva went from American to Turkish ownership recently. Its prolific U.S. factory produces as much chocolate for the North American market as the Belgian plant produces for the rest of the world. In which city, Pennsylvania's fifth largest, is the factory located? Allentown, Reading, or Hershey? Reading. Theodore Tobler created Toblerone chocolate triangles, which mimic the shape of the Matterhorn and honor his native country of Switzerland. Tobler was also exalted his homeland by placing its symbol, a bear, within the logo artwork. Name this city. Bern, Basel, or Zurich? Bern. So this is jetsetter.com. Which travel destination best fits your personality? Take our quiz. What's your biggest pet peeve? Being stuck somewhere with nothing to do? Feeling rushed and stressed? Slow walkers? When your phone hits 1% and you left the charger at home or feeling like an outsider. Slow walkers. People go to you when they need outfit help, a fun night out, comfort and a listening ear, a restaurant recommendation, or an adventure buddy. Restaurant recommendation. (laughs) It's recommending you should go to someplace I know you've already been to. (laughs) Hong Kong. Oh, yeah. I'm surprised that's not the fashion option, but I guess that would be like Italy or France or something. What did you like about Hong Kong? Because you've been more than once, right? Yeah, yeah, I've been twice. Food is great. 
I'm not really a big city person though, so I think the only reason I'd go back was to see some some chocolate friends, some really interesting like tea shops and cafes, and oh, great tea, like like milk tea. Love me some milk tea. That's what I would go back for is basically the food. What is your dream trip? One where I'm not working at all and there's a beach involved. <laughs> Do you have any specific place where you want to be on the beach, or it could be any beach? My happy place is an empty beach on the Galapagos, so I'd like to go back there. I went on a five-day side trip from, from Quito when I was working there. Yeah, it was not that expensive. Once you're already in Ecuador, it's um, like way less than $100 a day, which for that kind of trip is like awesome. Do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share? Um, a chocolate maker and a chocolatier are very different things. Do not get them twisted. Chocolate maker makes chocolate. A chocolatier takes ready-made chocolate and makes very interesting, amazing creations with it, but they don't make chocolate. They make chocolates. And that is a pet peeve. If you want to know a real pet peeve of mine, it's, it's those two. Where can people find you? On Instagram at Dame Cacao, D-A-M-E-C-A-C-A-O, or Chocolate on the Road. And then on my website at damecacao.com. Same spelling. Thank you very much for coming. Well, thank you, Lauren, for having me. What's your favorite treat for Halloween? Have you had craft chocolate before? Let me know on Twitter at WanderlessPod or by email at WanderlessPod at gmail.com. Until next time, dear travelers, thank you for listening. <laughs>